0: Well, let's turn to the book of Revelation again. And we'll read these first three verses as an introduction again. The Revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy And heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. And then just uh, skip down to verse 9. I thought this was kind of a significant verse here in terms of understanding um, the book. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. But a lot of this book is centered on those three things, the tribulation, the kingdom, and the perseverance which are in Jesus. It's a book to Explain to God's people some things related to the tribulation that they have to go through and the kingdom that they've been put into and the perseverance that's necessary when you're in that kingdom to make it through the the tribulation. So John says, I'm a partaker of this. I know in my own life the reality of what this book is all about. So, We've been trying to deal with this difficult book and try and give some understanding on how we should approach reading it. Uh, I say again how we should approach reading it because it is written in a little different style. This apocalyptic literature that we've been talking about uses so much symbolism, and it's it is a literature that was. Um, something that people in the first century were familiar with and a lot of the symbolism was things that they were familiar with that we are not now. It seems strange to us. But the main point that I've been trying to make is just this, that it is a special kind of writing that must be interpreted in a special way in terms of not trying to be too literal in the reading of a lot of the figures and imagery if we're overly literal, we'll end up with foolish and un unbiblical interpretations of some of the sections <clears throat> um, I really think that it was given to the Christians back then for a specific purpose, but um, it's for all of us it's for it was to them, but it's for us and um, it was it was not to give us a detailed account of God's plan for the future, when and where and how everything's going to turn out or unfold throughout history and especially in the end times. There is a basic pattern that's repeated over and over in the book of Revelation and that has to do with, uh, just like I said, the tribulation, the need for perseverance, uh, God's judgment on sin, uh, exhortations to god's people to trust him through the dark times that he will be victorious christ will be victorious and there will be a new heavens and a new earth and that that pattern is repeated over and over uh, in the book Um, it's almost like there's repeated overlapping cycles uh, that emphasize god's uh, judgment of sin and his control of history and that it's uh, it's kind of like they go like this. They overlap because you read something and you think, well, that's all right. Now that's kind of the end of that. And then you read a little bit more and you see, well, now, wait a minute. Something else is happening just that goes along with that. And it just kind of goes like that. Uh, let me just show you one example of what I'm talking about. If you turn to chapter 6. In other words, what I'm saying is that you, you can't just read the, through the book of Revelation like It was giving a straight timeline chronologically of what's going to happen. It's not like that. It's more like this, uh, overlapping cycles or circles. Um, For instance, at the end of chapter 6, there is uh, this uh, sixth seal that's opened. And when you read it, you think, well, this is the end. I mean, it's just just the the outpouring of God's wrath. Let me just show you here. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when it's shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll. When it is rolled up and every mountain and island is moved out of its place. So this sounds like this is pretty dramatic, you know, that you got uh, the sun black, the moon turned to blood, the skies, the stars are falling out of the sky, sky split apart and every mountain and islands move. So that just about does end the world, I'd say. Um, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand We. So you get the impression things are just about to wind down. Well, that's really just the beginning of many, many accounts of, of Uh, great outpourings of God's wrath that come in in the book Um, if you just uh, flip over to chapter 8 and verse well we'll just read 12 and 13 Uh, and the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten well we've already had them all fall all the stars fall out of the sky and the sun become black and the moon turn to blood but here a third of these uh, things uh, are dealt with. Um, and a third of them might be darkened, and the day might not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And I looked, and I heard an angel, angel or an eagle flying in mid heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the, rem- the remaining blasts of the trumpet. So there's more to come. And it, it just goes like that. The book does that over and over again. In other words, I'm trying to say you can't just read it like a straight line uh, chronologically. Uh, that it wasn't written to be, be read that way. It's more like overlapping uh, cycles. So just uh, trying to get some understanding of how to read this. Um, I would say that we're not to try to read this in, in a way, if we, if we think we can just decode these symbols, then we're going to be able to explain uh, how, how history is going to unfold and uh, how and why things happen. It's just not that way. It's not given us so that we can predict the details of history and how the end times will unfold. It was written in a time of great tribulation to provide confidence in God's victory, uh, both for the immediate people that read it and those who would follow. Um, again, we're not familiar with how first century Christians understood many of these symbols uh, that are in the book, so we must formulate an explanation. Uh, from the context that we read, read these various things in and from how the figurative language is used in other places in the Bible, especially the Old Testament where most all of these symbols are found. So again, read it in the context and then read it in the great context of the rest of the Bible which helps really helps explain what uh, some of these symbols mean. And then... The other thing would be we have to try to learn something of the history of that period because that helps us understand how those people would have understood some of what was being said to them in the book. So uh, that's just some of the things that we've mentioned in the past. I want to go on from there and give some... I I call them general principles to help guide us as we study the book. Um, I think the place to begin is with we should seek to understand what John intended to be communicating to the original readers in the first century. We should try as best we can to determine what John, the writer, was trying to communicate to the people that he wrote to in the first century that's always a place to begin in any place in the bible what did this writer mean to say to the people that he was writing to uh, to do this like i mentioned earlier we must understand some of the cultural context as best we can cultural context of those first century readers Now that doesn't mean that there's not sometimes a fuller sense to what's being presented than what some of the readers would have understood back then. Uh, That's the case in in many uh, sections of the Scripture. There was a meaning for those people right then, but sometimes there was a fuller meaning that God was going to bring out later. So um, we, we don't deny that, but it is always the place to start uh to try to understand what was being communicated to the original readers. That's always a place to start if we're going to correctly understand a passage. Uh, if the passage has some reference to similar information in the Old Testament, we should seek to understand those sections. The principle there is that the best insight we have about what God will do is found by looking at what God has already done. That's just the basic principle. It's a good one to remember. Try to understand how God normally operates, what he's shown us in the past. That will help us understand how he's going to operate in the future. So if we can look back in the Old Testament and find some of the places where some of these Symbols and figures are used before that that may help us a lot. The next thing I would say is that the visions and the symbols should not be pressed to make every detail have some special meaning. The images and symbols are forms of fantasy which purposely present a world that does not exist except as a means of communicating important truths that the author wants to convey. It's almost, and this, isn't, this is not a really good analogy, it's almost like science fiction, where you're, the writer is trying to get across some truth to you, some reality to you, through a, a make believe world. Some of this stuff is just fanciful as there's no other way to say it. But it was not written just to take you off into a fantasy land. It was written to get you to understand reality. So it's good to remember that. Uh, Often the meaning is in the overall symbol or vision and its impact rather than on every detail. The details are presented in a particular vision uh, as they're presented in a particular vision should be interpreted in harmony with the overall uh, central thought. So um, I guess part of what uh, we're saying here is don't get lost in the details. Uh, Look for the central thought, the main thought, and uh, realize that we can't press every detail, every little aspect of, you know, horses that have tails like snakes that have heads. You don't have to try to figure out what every head on a horse's tail means. Uh, you just, you, you just, uh, it will be an a, uh, endeavor that probably will not yield much good uh, help to you spiritually we should keep asking ourselves two questions as we seek to understand the various seals and trumpets and bowls. What's the big picture here? What's the entire picture? And what's the predominant idea that I'm supposed to get from this? Don't get lost in the details. Uh, The other thing I would say is that this book of Revelation is written in a highly stylized and carefully crafted way. Um, there's obviously patterns and cycles that are are presented, especially uh, patterns of seven. Sequences of numbers and events are common. And so numbers have a symbolic meaning. We've brought that out before. You you shouldn't think that if uh, a number like 144,000 is mentioned, that God is saying that's exactly the number of people that's going to be saved just 144,000. That's not what it's saying. It's a symbolic number. Uh, But I do think it's good to remember that symbolic does not mean uh, that it's not true or not important. It just has to be read in a special way, and that's what we're trying to emphasize here. Uh, I, I would also say this. That there's a lot at stake in our understanding of the Book of Revelation. You might say, "Well, this doesn't matter, anyways. You know, people don't understand it, and uh, it's uh, you know, people have disagreed on what it means. So, why bother with it?" Well, I, I will say this: um, it it does matter, and there's a lot at stake in how we interpret it. For instance. If you believe that this book and other passages of scripture teach that the Jewish people have a divine right to the land there in the Middle East, uh, it will greatly shape how you view your your, uh, view of what's going on there. And uh, it'll shape even your view of what's happening militarily and politically in that region. to expand on that a little bit, if you believe that it is a prophetic requirement of God's word that a third Jewish temple is to be rebuilt there on the Temple Mount, where uh, Solomon's temple was, where Herod's temple was, where it was de- which was destroyed, and now where stands this uh, Islamic Dome of the Rock, if you believe that God has Commanded that there be another temple built there, that is going to greatly uh, affect how you view what goes on in that, in that country. Um, it, it'll have tremendous religious and political ramifications. Uh, to put it in blunt terms, you could start a big war over that just because of the view you take of that little portion of land right there. So it's, it's very important how we deal with this book and make sure that uh, in, you know, in the big things we've got it right. Uh, lastly, I would say when we're dealing with this book, uh, we must not want to know too much. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of a human desire, but, but we have to be careful about that. this book was not given to us as some kind of a crystal ball, you know, to, are uh, telling the future out of it just wasn't it wasn't written that way it wasn't given us to predict the detailed course of world history uh, I would say that it's possible that conjecture about what God has planned uh, in the future can waste time and cause us to neglect uh, the clear-cut things that God wants us to do right here and now. You can spend all your time trying to, you know, delve into the book of Revelation and go to prophecy conferences and all this kind of stuff and miss out on the very basic things that God really wants you to be involved in and doing and thinking about right now. So it's it's careful. It's something to be very careful about. Uh, we must always seek to understand the unclear in harmony with the clear that's just another point kind of related to that and that is there's so many things that are clear in the scripture and in the book of revelation that uh, don't get sidetracked on the unclear things and make those into the big things that dominate your thinking stick with the clear things because because those are the things that um, will help you understand the unclear things even uh... So, we should not neglect this important book. There's great blessing promised to those who read it and heed the things written in it. On the other hand, we should not be obsessed with figuring it out. Some people and groups have done that to their detriment. Uh, Actually, I I don't know if this is a really good uh, illustration of this, but I know that Isaac Newton... The great scientist who discovered so many uh, uh, things related to how God uh, ordered the universe, uh, spent a lot of the last years of his life trying to figure out the book of Revelation. And he, he had all kinds of uh, intricate writings related to how the future was going to unfold. Uh, 2060 is when he said the whole thing is going to come to an end. Isaac Newton. Uh, I guess, I mean, I'm inclined to think he'd been better off if he would have stuck to studying science. Although I wanted to, it's good that he studied the scriptures. I mean, that's good. But you can be obsessed with this book and miss out on lot of what God would have for us. So um, we need to be careful about that. And last thing I would say is we need to be humble as we seek to deal with this book, admitting that there's much that we don't know and probably some that we never will know, uh, at least in this life, related to what's presented here. So those are just some things that uh, I think is good to keep in mind as we uh, dig into the book.